Merry Christmas. Great to see you all here this wonderful evening. And I was thinking as we were being led in that awesome worship by our band, uh, I don't know if you know it, but uh, Parumpa Pum Pum is Greek for Jesus is coming soon. Maybe. It is a wonderful evening for us to gather together and to recognize really what Christmas is all about. We want to take a few moments and do so on this Christmas Eve as we do each and every year. And I thought how appropriate in the midst of all the things we experience in life, the twists and turns, the highs and lows, the difficulties and the victories and all the other things that life will bring our way, there is one particular experience that stands above all others And that is when we truly experience Christmas, when we understand the full meaning of Christmas. Now, experience Christmas may not sound like a familiar phrase at this time of year, but it is actually very appropriate because what Christmas actually means has changed the life experience of every single person who has ever given their life to Jesus Christ. I need more than that. Now, tonight in the midst of all the traditions that will be practiced later this evening, including the one that we are doing now, this most wonderful time of the year gives us an opportunity to look at four non-traditional verses for the Christmas season as we have a non-traditional title. And it will tell us what it actually means to experience Christmas. But first of all, we need to understand what the word experience means according to the Collegiate Dictionary. And the word, like all words, has several meanings depending on the context. But for our time tonight, the definition of choice is a particular instance of encountering something. And that is what the word experience actually means. It can mean that you are well-crafted and have spent time at what you do and things of that nature. But tonight, we're going to focus on a particular instance of encountering something. And that something is Christ Jesus the Lord, or more properly, someone. Well, on Sunday, we learned three things about the Christmas presence and how the coming of and our encounter with Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, has impacted our lives. We found that knowing Jesus and as many as received him, he wiped out their sinful past. He transforms us in the present and he has given us a hope for the future. Now, our non-traditional verses in the sense of the Christmas season are going to remind us of two more things that we experience because of the Christmas presence that I hope we can keep in our hearts and minds, not just tonight, but always. My hope is our understanding is going to be enlightened a bit more concerning the greatness of the gift of God given in the person of his only begotten son who came into the world as a child was born in very humble means, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a feeding trough or a manger. He would grow up and live a perfect life that he could die a sinner's death and save sinners by his death, life, and resurrection like you and me. Now, verses tonight are from the book of Galatians, and they'll be from chapter 4, verse, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> verses 4 through 7. By the way, I just have a frog I'm not sick for once, so I'm thankful for that. Now, as 
funny, I was telling my granddaughter I had a frog in my throat the other day, and she said, no, you don't. (laughs) But I did, but I didn't, so. But if you would, stand and read with me, please, in honor of the Word of God. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Verse 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You may be seated. Now, I want to point out two things tonight that will expand on what we talked about on Sunday. And the first comes from our opening two verses where Paul mentions, again, the greatest event in the course of human history to date. And as I said on Sunday, there's another event that is its equal that is coming, but it involves the same personage, and that is the second coming of Jesus. He is coming again. Now, what Paul says here is that when it was time, God sent forth his son to be born of the woman prophesied in Isaiah 7:14. A virgin shall conceive and bear a child. His name will be called God with us. And he also sent forth his son when the Jews were under the law. Now, as Jesus grew and as he began to teach and encounter the Jews that he came to, uh, came through and to, he said in Matthew 5:17 and 18 in the Sermon on the Mount, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to do what? To fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Jesus was talking about punctuation marks and breath marks in the Hebrew writing style. And he's saying everything is going to be fulfilled. Everything can be understood as we look at Jesus and his life, death and resurrection and return. The law and the prophets was a phrase used to describe the Old Testament or the Tanakh. And it would certainly not be to the exclusion of the books of history and the books of poetry, but it was a phrase that was common to point things out to the reader. And that is that the Bible does contain a law and the Bible does also contain prophecy. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says there are two things that he came to fulfill that the law required and that all the prophets foretold regarding the Messiah. And he would fulfill them and he would fulfill them completely. Now, in Romans three nineteen to 24, Paul reminds us there also that we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by deeds of the law, no flesh, say no flesh, no flesh will be justified in his sight, but by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, as we talked about on Sunday, and we need to remember tonight, Ephesians tells us that we are saved by grace through faith, 
not of works, lest anyone should do what? Should boast. And that's what Paul is saying here. That's what he means by the phrase, every mouth is stopped. In other words, he's saying nobody can stand before God and say, I've been good enough to gain entrance into heaven. Nobody can say that my life has been perfect. Nobody can say that I have never erred, never lied, never cheated, never had an impure thought. No one can say that. The law stops every mouth from boasting. And because the law condemned all, in God's perfect timing, he sent forth his son to rescue from loss. And that's what the word redeemed actually means. And he came to rescue from loss those condemned under the law, which is every person ever born. Now, the result of this redemption was our adoption as sons and daughters. Now, it's very popular and in vogue today, especially for those who are trying to equalize all belief systems as worshiping the same God or being of equal value. It is indeed today very popular to say we are all God's children, which actually is not true. But the good news is anyone can become God's child through being born again. Now, in John 1, 12 to 13, Jesus made this point, but as many as received him, to them he, he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is why Jesus had already said, you must be born again. Now, I've got two very basic things to remind you of here tonight, but I hope we put them away and keep them in our hearts and minds from this day forward. And this is what we've all heard, what we know to be true, but we packaged it like this tonight. And here's our first of two observations. Listen, God gave as a gift what we could never earn or deserve. God gave as a gift what we could never earn or deserve. Now, because no one can stand before God and say because of their good works or obedience to the law that they are God's child and therefore deserving of entrance into heaven, God started the adoption process, if you will, when he sent his son in the fullness of time or at the right time or appropriate time or a moment in history. He sent forth his virgin-born son to rescue from loss all who were perishing under the law. Now, in Ephesians 1, 3 to 7, we're also told, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with, what's the next word? Every, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In other words, this was God's plan all along, to redeem man, to rescue him from loss, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to what? Adoption as sons by Christ Jesus himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us, I love this phrase, accepted in the beloved. In Jesus we are acceptable to God. Somebody say amen. Amen. And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, I hope you picked up on the transition there. Because it is something that is essential to our understanding. The fact is, we had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, according to the law of God. And now, in Christ, we are holy and without blame before him, because we've been redeemed by his own precious blood, which resulted in the forgiveness of our sins. I say condemned under the law to free indeed is a pretty good transition, wouldn't you? 
Now, this is what God gave us in the child born and the son given. It's a gift we can never earn. It's one we would never deserve. But according to the riches of his grace, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, having received the adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Now, one more thing about this adoption issue. We know that children do not adopt their parents. A parent will adopt a child. And therefore, as many claim today, we are all God's children. You don't have to adopt your own kids, right? And therefore, that exposes that error that is being said by so many today. But the fact is, the adoption process is initiated by a responsible adult, even in our day and age today. And it reminds us of 1 John 4, 9 and 10, where we're told, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, there's a nice multi-syllable word that we could uh, understand more simply as uh, atonement. And that's what uh, propitiation means. I can't even say it. It's so huge. Now, listen, our being rescued from loss was God's idea. It wasn't that we loved him, so he said, I better love him back. No, he loved us while we were yet sinners. He demonstrated his own love toward us while we were still ungodly, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And because we have been adopted, we experience two things. One, we're given the Holy Spirit. And two, we become heirs of God. And we are, as heirs of God, no longer slaves of sin. And this is what Paul is pointing out. Now... I have to say, since this is something that we cannot earn or ever deserve, 2 Corinthians 9.15 is an appropriate verse for tonight. And that says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, I want to conclude here this evening. And, you know, it's not often that I do a homily, so you're welcome. A homily actually means a short sermon. I've never given one in my life, but this is the best I can do. And let me just remind you of a couple of uh, sets of verses. We're told uh, about more about being an heir, uh, not E-R-R-O-R, but H-E-I-R, an heir. In him we have also obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were what? Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession or the redemption of these lowly bodies to the praise of his glory. Now, Peter would also add this in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5, where he wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for, put your name in there who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, 
It's interesting that the word guarantee used by Paul is a word that means an earnest. We might say earnest money or even a pledge. And it can be readily understood by us today as a down payment of something that would later be received or paid for in full. Now, in the context of what Paul and Peter write, we would better understand that part of our inheritance in heaven has already been given to us on earth. And we now have within us the third person of the triune Godhead in the person of the Holy Spirit, which assures us that we have all as born again believers been uh, granted an inheritance and we are now joint heirs with Christ and the fullness of this awaits us in the future. Now, this leads to the other thing I want us to remember on this most blessed Christmas Eve as we experience Christmas, and that's simply this. A simplistic, again, reminder, but something we need to tuck away in our hearts and ponder every day. Listen this evening, because we have the Holy Spirit, we know we're going to heaven. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we know we're going to heaven. And this is what Paul did when he transitioned in verse 6. He says, because you are sons, because you've been adopted, because you are now part of God's family, because you are his sons and daughters, we are no longer slaves to the wages of sin. And we can live knowing that the presence of the Holy Spirit in us assures us that all the glories of heaven await us. How do we know for sure? Peter said we're kept by the power of God. What assurance do we have that he will keep us even on our bad days, even on our really bad days, even on our downright sinful days? Do we still have the guarantee of a future inheritance in heaven? Well, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the answer to that is yes. It's a down payment on what we are going to receive in its fullness in the future. Now, This is important for this reason. It keeps us from wrongly motivated actions in our efforts to serve and please God. Listen, we don't please and live for God in hopes of staying saved. Hello? We don't work and serve, do good works and serve God in hopes of staying saved. We please and serve Him because of what we already have. We have a down payment of a guaranteed future inheritance in Heaven. Now, Paul would say this to young Timothy in 6, 6 through 8 of his first letter. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. It's been well said, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And we brought nothing in, and that's how we're going out, too. Except for one generation, which is going to be supernaturally translated into the presence of God in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. I say today's a good day for that, don't you? Hey, let somebody else have the gifts of the, under the tree. Lord, come get us tonight. Now, that wasn't very hearty. Some of you didn't really mean that. but Okay, after we open the gifts, then he can come get us. How about that? Now... You know what Paul's saying? He's just saying, hey, this world's not our home. You know, we just got the basic stuff to exist while we're here. And what he's saying is, listen, we need to focus on the adoration of God instead of the accumulation of stuff or things. Do I need to say that again? Now, I want to close our time reminding us of all, reminding all of us of where we're going. 
and what it's going to be like. And we have limited information about heaven, but what we do have is magnificent. I was thinking about the story of a young boy where he was seated in the front row. The pastor was giving a very enthusiastic uh, invitation, and he just simply said, Who wants to go to heaven? Everybody raised their hand except the boy in the front row. Then the pastor said again with even more vigor, Who wants to go to heaven? Everybody raised their hand except the boy in the front row. One more time in full voice, he practically yells at the congregation, Who wants to go to heaven? Everybody raised their hand except for the boy in the front row. The pastor said, Son, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, Well, sure I do. I thought you were putting together a group to grow right now. I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven with all y'all. I want the group plan, not the individual. Amen? Now, what's it going to be like when we get there? Now listen, let me just encourage you. In a moment of meditation, you might even want to close your eyes and just listen to what the down payment is going to lead to that we will all enjoy forever in the future. Because what I'm about to read is not something we're just going to hear or see on a page in the future. It's going to become a reality. Do you want to know what heaven is like? Listen, here we go. Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 is where we'll start. After these things I looked, John said, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here. And I will show you things which must take place. Immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne, around the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures each have six wings. And they were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whatever the living creatures give honor and glory and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Someday we're going to see that. Someday we're going to be viewing that with our own eyes and bodies that have been glorified to a Christ-like state. An incredible scene. But wait. There's more. more. (laughs) Listen. 
on up to Revelation 21, 9 through 27. It's a long read, but I encourage you once again, meditate on these words as they reach your ears and consider that this is your future and you will see and experience these things. And then John said that one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and talked with me saying, come, and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. John says, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city was laid out as a square, its length as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs or 1,500 miles to you and I. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, and the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But, John says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, I was thinking I've read some real estate promotions over the years where the property listed didn't exactly match up to what you saw when you visited. But rest assured, what we just read is real. What we just read is also partial. There is much more we are going to see and experience once we are home. Heaven is going to be more amazing than our human finite minds can even imagine or fathom. Now, this is our future home because when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born 
under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth his spirit into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son or a daughter, obviously, then an heir of God through Christ our Lord. You see, this is how you experience Christmas. We have so many wonderful things to look forward to. And for the uh, time being, as we now inhabit these bodies and await that day where we'll put on immortal incorruptibility, we need to remember we've been given a gift that we could neither earn nor ever deserve. And because of that gift, we know we're going to heaven. This is an exciting evening. It's an exciting time of year. Tomorrow will be an exciting day for sure, but it pales in comparison to where we're going and going to be forever. And to that I say, Merry Christmas to all and to all. No, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Bow your heads with me, please. And Father, we are so grateful again for these paragraphs and this multitude of words that gave us a limited yet glorious description of what that down payment in the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives means awaits us. And we are so grateful for the gift, the indescribable gift that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son just at the right time and for all the right reasons to bring us back from loss, the loss that we had incurred for being sinners who had violated your law. Thank you, Lord, that you yet today remain unwilling that any should perish, but your heart's desire is that all would come to repentance, a change change of mind that impacts the life. And Lord, I pray that for all who are in this room, that they indeed have received that down payment through becoming a son or daughter of the Most High God by receiving you. So we thank you, Lord, that it is not possible to limit the propitiation of the atoning power of your blood. You died to save the world. And therefore, through you, all the world can be saved. But Lord, you also put responsibility on us as well to receive you, to accept and open the gift and truly experience Christmas and all that it means. So, Lord, we celebrate the birth of Christ. And then at the right time and through the prophetic means, your son entered into the world and died the death that we deserve so we could receive a gift we didn't earn. We thank you for these things tonight. We bless your name. We look forward to heaven. And thank you for that which we have read about our future home. And we give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray these things. And all God's people said together, Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, if you're not sure that you've received the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know, Christians are people who have had their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, as we discovered tonight. And they're people that are still fallible until they are in a glorified state in Christ-like. And I will be the first to say that Christians make mistakes. I remember that time I made one. 
today. We all make mistakes, right? But here, listen, if you're someone who's searching tonight, let me say this. There's no Christian that can save you. Jesus saves. And it's Jesus that you need, not perfect Christians. Someday we're going to be perfected. Someday we're going to be in the image and likeness of God. So listen, don't let any human be your excuse for rejecting God's offer of salvation. You see, this is what experiencing Christmas is all about. It's about the Savior. It's not about people. It's about God's plan to redeem mankind. And if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't decided to accept God's offer of salvation, which is the only one that's ever come from heaven, a lot of people like to talk about what awaits us, but none describe it in the detail that John described as an eyewitness of the heavenly scene. So we know what awaits us. And we also have the confidence because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in us that that is indeed going to be our future. It's a guaranteed inheritance to all who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to understand how significant this is because it assures us that we indeed know and with confidence, as we mentioned tonight, even when we have our bad days, even when we mess up, that our salvation is secure in the person of Jesus Christ. And listen, if you haven't accepted him as your savior, if you haven't recognized him and all that the Bible presents him to be, I highly suggest you do that tonight because you really don't know what Christmas is all about and you haven't experienced it as of yet. So if you would like to make a decision to follow Christ, I'm going to ask you just to come and tell one of these guys over here off to my right, your left, they're elders of the church, You know what? I want to ask Christ into my heart. Now, there's a lot of things that are associated with a moment of conversion, uh, so to speak. Some people like to lead others in a sinner's prayer. Some like people to stand up and come down to the front. Others lead them down on the field. And all those things are fine and okay. But the fact is, you need to do business with God if you don't know him as Savior and Lord. And he is ready, willing, and able to save you. And he'll do so tonight. So please don't let this moment get by and uh, receive that indescribable gift. And then you can know what we just read is going to be your future home forever too because of what Jesus has done for you and me. So with that said, a very Merry Christmas to you all. By the way, if you're not running off to a family event, we've got some hot cocoa and uh, it's uh, very seasonally appropriate weather for us here in California, right? I mean, this is crazy cold for us. I was talking with Jan Markell the other day and... um, you know, she lives in Minnesota. So, you know, I was telling her, man, it's been cold here. <laughs> she didn't believe me. But it is cold for us. So go out and have some cocoa and cookies and fellowship. And may the Lord bless your Christmas time tomorrow. And may you truly experience Christmas in all of its fullness, beauty, majesty, and glory. And all day tomorrow and all day every day, I want you to think about where you're going, and why you're able to go there. It's Jesus. Amen.